Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I found my way back to a higher ground. Yeah, I just want to feel alive. Welcome to Higher Ground with Julian King. Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome along to Higher Ground this Monday. Jules with you. Great to have your company wherever you tuned in. SEN 1170 in Sydney, SENQ 693 in Brisbane, SEN 1620 on the Gold Coast and across the globe via the SEN app. The open line number, should you like to join me, 1300 01 1170 and the text line 0457 736 736. It's Monday, a stack of sport that happened across the course of the weekend. You know what's interesting is we, we've got our two grand finalists and yeah, you're excited about the decider, but is, is part of you thinking almost or tinged with a degree of sadness because you know it's the last game of the year. Yes, I understand we've got a World Cup, but I've always found that in grand final week, particularly if your team's not playing. Yeah, it's good, but but that's it. That's it. You can see the finish line. But I tell you what, we've got a hell of a game. A hell of a game between two teams that are very much in the heart of rugby league in this city. Now, joining me tonight, Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports will be up shortly for his regular Monday chat, the weekend wash-up. Jace Polson from the City Morning Herald Sports Desk is back. He'll tell us what's on tomorrow's back pages. We'll cross live to London as well with Ian McCulloch for his UK report. As I said, we're down to two. We're down to two. Uh, just about everyone had Penrith figuring at the start of the year. Uh, they are the benchmark, no question. Not as many had the Eels in the grand final, myself included. But well done to the Eels. Look, they're a big club. They're a big club. And there is a real electricity about the place. Uh, I live in the area. It was up and down Church Street yesterday. I can tell you what, you might have seen all those news reports with Peter Wynn's score. It was chockers. It was absolutely chockers, actually. In fact, I bumped the, the great Stan Jerd, who played for the Eels and the North Sydney Bears. And Stan was there checking bags afterwards. I had a quick chat with Stan. He's doing well. and He's very much caught up in the excitement. But, uh, you know, shops decked out in blue and gold, people in hats and jumpers, kids, jerseys. and It's been a while. It's been a while. 2009 since a decider and of course so much talked about premiership drought of 36 years 1986 the last time they won the competition will they break that drought it's quite the mountain to climb though isn't it and as i said no doubt they feel that weight of history penrith are the favorites but look two horse race it's anyone's game nice little subplots as well and look this is the game the nrl would have loved and they've got it we're going to hear this term a lot, the Battle of the West. So two teams that, that incorporate such vast expanses of rugby league heartland. There's really no reason why Parramatta can't replicate Penrith's success. they got the junior base for it. They've certainly got the riches for it. They've got a massive, massive supporter base too. Then Paul South Sydney. The Pat's done well to show up and he's, you know, he's been pretty diplomatic about the whole thing. And He's a glasses-half-full kind of guy anyway. Pat is on the buttons tonight, but... You know, they dared to believe for the bulk of that first half. I was a bit late to the start of it, and it's a 10 nil. It's a 10 nil. Am I right? What? Could it be? Could it be? Part of me, you know, it's a 10 nil, but you just thought Penrith, they'll click in a gear like it was against Parramatta in the first week of the finals. Eventually, they'll find their mojo and they'll come over the top, and that's exactly what happened. And that try against a run of player, Brian Toto, just on the stroke of half time, it was a stake through the heart of the Rabbitohs. What it did, it awoke Penrith from their slumber. Maybe it was the fact they hadn't played a lot of footy. They just a little slow to get going, to get out of first gear. But they found their groove, as, as I said. You know, they never looked back. They're just, they're just so professional. The thing about it is to beat Penrith, you need to do everything right. Everything right, because they are such a complete football side. But at the end of the, of the match, it's a bit of a, bit of a to and fro between Cody Walker and the Panthers trainer, who then shot back at Jed Cartwright. Very irate Jed Cartwright. And as Dean Richie reports in the Telegraph, well, his old man, John, has called for the Panthers physio, who allegedly sledged his son, Jed, to be banned for life from being a trainer, claiming the sledge was the height of being a coward. Those are stern words from Hoss. 
Now, this comes as South's Chief Executive Blake Solly claimed that he would expect the NRL to take swift action if the allegation against Panthers trainer and physio Peter Green is proven. Now, Cartwright's call for Green to be ejected permanently from Rugby League, given both have strong Penrith connections, I mean, that is a pretty big development. Cartwright's a Penrith legend. So Green is accused of verbally targeting Jed Cartwright several times during the match and the Rabbitohs player feeling upset and aggrieved enough to approach the Panthers trainer on field at full time. And having watched the incident, Cody Walker became engaged in a verbal with Green, ushered from the field by fellow trainers. The Telegraph are telling us that it's understood Walker and Green also have history. So I'd be, I'd be really interested for them to get to the bottom of this and see what else might emerge. Now, you remember, Green worked professionally with Jed when he was recovering from a few injuries while he was playing at Penrith. And apparently he was stunned at Green's on-field attacks. He thought they were mates. He's saying, well, hang on, where, where, does, where is this coming from? As I mentioned, John Cartwright, Jed's old man, member of the 91 grand final winning side, Panthers team of legends, filthy of those allegations. And he said, if, if it's true the trainer was sledging an opposition player, he should be banned for life. Lowest act in the game, lowest of low, that's not on. You shouldn't have to cop any sledge off an effing trainer. He's fired up, Hoss, isn't he? The game is hard enough without copping it from someone you can't have a crack back at. It's a hide of been a coward. I'm inclined to agree. Cops sledges from opposition players, fair enough. You can say what you like. You don't need it off a bloke. You can't tackle or be tackled by. Is it the old, how many game, first grade games has he played? It is outrageous, though. I mean, I don't know what was said, and I guess we'll await. There is an investigation, but it's it's not the trainer's business. As I said, Jed thought, well, he helped me in the recovery. I thought we were mates, and he was blindsided by these verbal attacks. The thing about it is, I mean, I don't know, so I'm loath to, to comment too deeply about it, but from the outside, it sort of reeks of arrogance, doesn't it? Ha-ha, we won, and I'll just give it to you to play for us, but you don't anymore. Just, I don't know. You found to be true. Look, I expect some degree of reprimand. 0457 736 736. It's so funny. You, you scroll through social media and you see some of the headlines from Townsville still going on about the, the Mitch Moses forward pass and how many times it's been dotted, you know, seven tackle sets in finals games. A lot's been said about it and it was forward. And, and today, Gray Mannersley conceded as much. He said it was, quote unquote, marginal forward pass. Well, it doesn't matter how large or small the angle is out of the hands forward if it's forward it's forward it's pretty blatant I thought 24-20 Parramatta won it was controversial because of course it was the first try of the game and Annas Lee conceded in his, his Monday briefing he said well Grant Atkins a couple of touches they all missed it after reviewing the Moses pass it does appear to be forward out of his hands which is the only thing that matters under the laws of the game and, and on he goes Still going on about it, North Queensland, dudded by calls. Look, it was Ford, we know that. But the point is this, North Queensland led by eight points in that second half. You can't blame that decision for the loss. So here's a thought. Here's something a bit left field. Maybe Jason Tamalolo and Jordan McLean should have shown a bit more urgency when they knew that Marnie was going to feed a short ball to Regan Campbell-Gillard from about seven out with a big crash play, and he strolled over. And they were very slow to get up in his face. That's not the referee's fault. They had ample opportunity to win that game, North Queensland. They had a wonderful season, but Parramatta had the better side on the night. How good was Sean Lane in that second half? Let me ask you this. Is he a World Cup smoky, Sean Lane? See, people are already naming their team. Some have him there. Some have him starting. Some have him on the bench. I'd say he most certainly is a World Cup smoky, given his form. And speaking of Sean Lane, uh, he's preparing to sign off on a three-year extension, reportedly worth about two mil to remain with the Eels until 2026. So that is good signing news once he does inevitably sign on the dotted line. And still on re-signings, just quickly, Joe Tarpanay, Cambrata's prop and the man who finished arguably the best prop in the game at the end of the season proper. He's confirmed his future with the Green Machine. He signed a four-year extension with the club. So that ties him now to Canberra until the end of 2027 with a year still remaining on his current deal. Now, do you remember, what, a month or two ago, he was going to be the hottest property in the market, Joe Tarpaday. And according to his manager, there was something like, I think, six clubs. Six clubs chasing him. So a big, big signing for the Green Machine. Just before we get to Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports, just back on the grand final. Now, I don't know if you saw this. This was in the Herald about Brad Arthur. 
poised to drop a selection bombshell. And recall abandoned forward Nathan Brown for the grand final against the Panthers. Because it looks like Tom Uppershick gone, the centre, pulled up lame in a fitness test on his hamstring today. He did, of course, miss the prelim final against the Cowboys on Friday night. Taylor May's not going to play for the Panthers too, by the way. Wouldn't that be a nice little swan song for Nathan Brown? Uh, apparently, he took the news pretty hard when he was told that he wasn't wanted at the club, but that'd be quite the comeback. I'd like to see him play personally. quite like Nathan Brown as a footballer. 0457 736 736. Uh, just an update from the Women's Basketball World Cup, the FIBA Women's World Cup. Australia in action against Canada. It's a pretty tight affair. It's about a minute remaining in that fourth quarter, and the Aussies up by 271 to 69. Australia leads 71 to 69, so we'll bring that result to you as it comes to hand. 0457 736 736. And another bucket for the Aussies, 69 uh, Canada, 73 Australia. So Australia's up by four. Lachlan McCurdy, good evening. Hello, Julian. Good to be with you. Yeah, likewise. You know, it's funny. I really love prelim. It's out of, strangely enough, out of every week of finals football in the NRL, I think I like the prelim finals weekend the best. More so than the grand final if my team's not playing. And there's a sense of inevitability that the season's coming to an end. So, yeah, it's great. It's it's the ultimate. It's the decider and the rest of it. But I don't know. Part of me just says, you know, this, this is it. This is it. It sort of it almost tempers my excitement in a way. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I, I love prelim final weekend. Just because you've still got a few more storylines there that you've for example, this weekend, everyone kind of was thinking Penrith would get through there, but just the storylines around the South and going, okay, that there's so much on the line for them in terms of trying to make up for last year, trying to make up for how they just missed out on that grand final victory. And yeah, we just see a little bit more of that narrative and slowly by slowly as we go through the weeks of the season, we get fewer of those. And I think that has a bit to do with it as well. The Battle of the West, I mean, you are probably trying to avoid... <laughs> that saying like the plague in your copy, but uh, we're going to hear it uh, countless times throughout the course of the week. But you know what? The, the NRL will be delighted with these two teams making the grand final because in, in a sense, it really is rugby league heartland in Sydney. Absolutely. And it's fantastic that after uh, not having the grand final in, in Sydney last year, that we're going to be getting a final between two teams who are really close to Acor Stadium out there. So I don't see any reason why it's not going to be 80,000 plus out there. It's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. And based on the results this year, it should be a close game. They've had a a bit each way and anything really could happen by the time that first ball is kicked on Sunday night. What did you make of uh, both prelim finals games? I I really enjoyed them both, I have to say. You know, I was watching it on on Friday night and... Yeah, the Mitch Moses thing, or so be it. This stuff happens, of of course, from time to time in in all sport, not just rugby league. But I'd paused it just after half time to get the kids to bed, and I said, generally, this is what happens Friday night football. I play a bit of catch up, and it took longer than anticipated. Mm. The Cowboys shot out to an eight point lead, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a beauty. And all these cars, because they're leaving Parramatta honking the horn, you hear it go, power, and spoken. (laughs) Well, I guess that's that then. But I I was delighted. I was delighted, and there's a a real buzz and excitement in the surrounding area, without question. But you know, a good year for the Cowboys, but Parramatta just sort of had this almost sort of, this sort of intangible. When they get going, they're, they're such a good front-running side, and you get the sense that when they take on Penrith, uh, this is the only way they're going to win is they're going to have to come out of the blocks early. I think so. I mean, I think Sean Lane and Regan Campbell-Gill are probably Parramatta's two best players on Friday, and that went a long way to winning them the game in terms of being able to get a bit of momentum in the middle. And if you... So in Junior Paolo, um, if he can have a big game as well, but you really like what they can do um, against Penrith. And that's where they kind of dominated against the Panthers throughout the year. And yeah, the, the Cowboys were an interesting one. I, I think they'll look back on that game going, even besides the whole forward pass thing that Moses threw, that they probably will think they had enough chance to win that game. They just couldn't cross the line enough, especially in that first half. And yeah, I, I think Parramatta... I don't think they'd feel lucky or anything like that, but they take a lot of confidence out of being able to hang in there in that game and get the result. Because in front of that parochial crowd, it really could have gone either way. And after the Cowboys started strongly, they could have easily run away with it and Parramatta just didn't let them. Well, you've got to take your chances. Parramatta had, I think, 57% possession in that first half. And and miraculously, 
they're ahead on the scoreboard, you know. And this is the thing. I mean, you know, Matty Johns, I thought, encapsulated it well uh, on his network on Friday. He said, the thing about the Sharks and the Cowboys, uh, you reflect on their seasons and they played really good regular season football, but maybe not the best finals football. Yeah, and I think that's, that always comes with a team who's had such a massive turnaround in terms of their own form. And, yeah, I thought Jerry dissected it well with a, with a few certain aspects of the game and just... If you look at that game in sort of a microcosm, that it had kind of the best bits of both their season. We saw kind of some fluidity from the um, the Parramatta backline. We saw Jason Tamalolo and some of the Cowboys forwards really get a, a going on. But I don't think either would be saying that that was 100% their best performance of the season. They both knew they could have performed better than that. And that's kind of what comes with the pressure of Prelim footy. And poor South Sydney, I think they dared to dream. And then, you know, that, that key play, the runaway try to Brian Toto before half time, oh. that was the turning point, wasn't it? You felt that from that point on, they, they were never looking back. That was one of the tries of the season, just how he shrugged off Cody, Cody Walker. Yeah. It it's the sort of thing that you go, okay, that's, it's such a momentum changer when something like that happens. That even if it's just before half time, you're going straight into the sheds. Jason Dimitro would have been able to chat with them. That doesn't matter because it's just such a sapping moment to go, oh, we had a 12-6 score lead on. We could have had more if Kevin Graham had held and passed on to his winger. But, yeah, it's just, it, it was a shame because it was a really close contest. And I think from that point, South's head just dropped a little bit. But I, I think you could tell by that second half, Penrith were always coming back yeah. to at least, if not win the match, put up a fight. But they were just too strong in the end. They're just so clinical. You know, you give them a sniff. It's all about taking your opportunity. Parramatta did that on Friday night with limited ball. And then, you know, there's an interesting question posed to Jason Demetrio about, you know, Ilias. At that stage, of should you shut out the first half, look at a field goal or just play safe, and, you know, get a kick away, you know, as opposed to sort of go wide? And I thought Demetrio answered it well. He, he basically said, well, you know, Campbell Gray needed to take that catch. And for all intents and purposes, he did. He did. And this is what mm. I mean. You know, the mistakes against the best teams just kill you at this time of year. And it's something we've seen throughout this sort of final series, that the team that kind of makes mistakes and, and piles up the errors are the ones that will struggle, obviously. Cronulla did that against South. Melbourne won their best against the Raiders. And, and it just has that impact that you can play as, as good a brand of footy as you want, especially in the red zone in terms of scoring points. You can be as defensively strong as you want, but if you don't make the most of your opportunities, it comes back to bite you and you don't get many second chances, especially when it comes to final footy. Okay. So Brisbane went back-to-back in 92 and 93 and they did it, uh, you know, with the Super League 97 and the 98 and, of course, the Roosters in, in 18 and 19. Uh, can Penrith follow suit and be just the third team in three decades to go back-to-back? Uh, Sorry, I, not I can. I'll oh, let me phrase that. Will they? Because obviously they yeah, can. Yeah. They definitely can, and I think they will. I'm definitely leading their way to start with, just in terms of having that big game experience from the last two years of grand finals now, I, I think it's a really big step that you've got a core squad who knows what it takes, not only to play in the biggest game of the year, but to now win the biggest game of the year after last year. And, yeah, I, I think it's hard because you don't want to write off Parramatta, especially because no one kind of predicted them to be able to get that momentum to get to the final. Uh, but, yeah, it's just it's going to be hard to beat Penrith when they're clicking as well as they have. I mean, yeah, that second half against South, they just turned it on and looked so good. And, yeah, I, I'm leaning their way. Not a big win, but I, I think a, a 10, 12-point win to Penrith. All right, who's your Clive Churchill medalist? <sighs> Another tough one. I, I, I don't want to go clear because I think it's the obvious answer, as I also think is... Dylan Edwards yeah. now, it's becoming a very popular answer. So I'm going to go Appy okay. in his final game for the club. Yeah, yeah. Oh, geez, you know, it's so hard to say. Let's just say be boring and play it safe and, and say, Nathan. Uh, the Opals have defeated Canada 75-72 to at the Women's Basketball World Cup. Now, you're pretty attuned to these um, three T20 internationals, a bit of a whirlwind trip mm. for the Australians over in India. Uh, but there was a bit to like about it. It was a lot more engaging and entertaining than I think a lot of people thought it might have been. Um, and everyone's talking about this the form of Cam Green and the debut of Tim David. Yeah, I mean, I described it in some copy last week. It was a, the most off-Broadway T20 series you'll see, but it was actually <laughs> a really a really exciting series. Obviously, the Aussies got the, the first 
victory and a 200 plus run chase is quite remarkable and the second one was an evenly balanced one but it was only an eight over a side game so it was always going to struggle and then another one that went down to the final over so there were some fantastic performances cam green as you rightly point out was just fantastic at the top of the order just looked to score from every single ball just used his long levers i think like we spoke about recently on on, on one of the shows last week just has this brute strength to he, he put some some of the best bowlers in the world, Jasper Bloomer, just back straight over sort of cow corner for six. It was quite remarkable hitting, and he's got the only uh, David Warner and Glenn Maxwell have hit faster T20 international 50s for Australia than um, Cam Green's off 19 balls last night, which was just spectacular. And Tim David, really good, his first 50 for Australia, looked really strong and played the perfect six, seven position mm. that you need in T20 period, exactly what is important to the side for. And Matthew Wade, also a very good couple of games from him, um, locking down that number seven position. We saw him play a crucial hand during the World Cup last year, and I think he's going to do it again this year. Yeah, I think he's, he's answered a lot of critics, Matt Wade, and surprised a few with mm. how he's converted himself into a genuine finisher, because no, no doubting he's, he's hitting prowess, but he was a top-order player, wasn't he, for the Hurricanes? And, and this was the knock on Australia going to the last World Cup, and you know, players of that sort of experience, they're just great problem solvers, aren't they, Lockie? And he's amended and adjusted his game really well. And now he got some depth in that position with Tim David. And the fact that Cam Green's not in the squad, I mean, Andrew McDonald said, you know, obviously next man up. And, you know, but at this stage, does somebody with the slightest niggle go, oh, you better sit this one out, mate. Let's get Cam into the squad somehow. You know? Well, there are a few guys with a few injury clouds. I mean, obviously, Mitch Marsh is one I think they're most concerned about yeah. after just not being able to go um, through the rest of the sort of Zimbabwe series and New Zealand series that we saw here in home soil up, up in Queensland. But Marcus Stoinis as well, there's a bit of concern about. And I think if Mitch Marsh is sort of a, a day-to-day prospect, they'll, they'll be happy to stick with him. But I think Stoinis will be a really interesting one when you've got Cam Green here, who not only does he present a, a really inform option, he presents different options. The fact that he can go up the top of the order, he can play in the middle. It's something that Stoinis doesn't really offer as much in terms of being able to play at the top of the order in his national level. We sometimes see him in the big bash, but the coaches for Australia have never really entrusted him with that opportunity for the green and gold. So I think if, if Stoinis is 50-50, it, it will be very interesting to see whether they go, look, this is an important tournament. We don't want a guy who is under an injury cloud. Let's get Cam Green to the side. But I think one thing's for certain, Cam Green is going to be watching that IPL auction next year very intently. Yep, he shout. Now, look, I don't want to dwell too much on the fact that the Swans got absolutely pumped. It was, it was really disappointing. And the funny thing is, all the talk prior to this was how the Sydney Swans are the highest-rating team and... You know, the top, the four highest rating grand finals, I think, it all featured Sydney. The numbers are really low. Now, what do you put that down to? Is it the fact that it was a blowout? Uh, maybe eventually we, we need to shift to a night grand final, as Jared Waitley suggested on this network, or maybe it was just an off day? I think, in terms of ratings, I, I think change are a few people to say about it. A lot of it comes down to the fact that it's the first kind of grand final we've had out of lockdown for a couple of years, especially when it comes to Melbourne. that I mean, I was down in Melbourne, got to go, was lucky enough to get to the game, and I was on my way there at about 10, 30, 11, and the pubs were already full. There were hundreds of people mm-hmm. at rooftop hotels and things like that, people having parties. So while you've got maybe a figure of one TV watching it, but it actually accounts for, if it's at a home, it's 10 people. If it's at a pub, it's 200, 300 people. So I think we, we can't look too much into the numbers. I, I think, yeah, you're right, the Swans fans, a lot of them would have turned off at half time, but... For the fact that I think it was the highest attendance final in eight, nine years or something like that, it was a, another 100,000-plus crowd in Melbourne. And, yeah, I think for the Swans fans that are trying to look for something positive to take out of it, it was just the fact that Geelong was so good in the day. I think even if the Swans turned up and played their best football on Saturday, I don't think they were winning that match. Geelong were just that good. Mm. It's almost a case now you just back Eddie T with Isaac Smith because he knows how to win these things. <laughs> but, no, no, three, uh, now a norm. Uh, disappointing. I think everyone's expecting a much tighter affair. You know, these things happen sometimes. Yeah. Geelong were on and they're, they're deserved winners. And Sydney will reflect on this year. I think they're probably ahead of where many people had them anyway. So on reflection, it'll it'll a decent year, but it certainly won't uh, eradicate the pain of uh, you know folding the way they did and comprehensively outclassed. Okay, what is happening in code sports this week? 
plenty of grand final coverage. I'm heading out to kind of chat to some of the players tomorrow. We had a few um, of our journos out at Parramatta's media day today. So, yeah, plenty of content to look forward to. And then I think from next week, we get straight into Christmas season. The Sheffield Shield starts very soon. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to in the next few weeks. Very much so. Well, I'm doing uh, the Matt White Morning Show tomorrow live from Bluebet Stadium. Are you bouncing around at that time, Lockie? I might try and get to Bluebet. I'll definitely be around in the Penrith area, so I might see you around. Yep, beautiful. All right, thank you, mate. We'll catch you there. Always good to chat there. He's Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports. Keep the text coming in 0457 736 736. We're up and running Monday night. High ground. Yeah, I hope this Monday evening finds you well. Just recapping the Opals, 75 have defeated Canada, 72. Is at the uh, the Fever Women's World Cup, the basketball tournament. And I had some cricket action today in the Marsh Cup between South Australia and Queensland, oh, just the score disappeared in front of me. There it is. The South Australia won comfortably in the end, thumped the Bulls by 61 runs. This game at Allen Border Field. Uh, a lot of players actually got starts for the Redbacks. Only a couple got to 50, but runs were shared. Ben Benenti, well done to him. Sydney sider too. Glad to see him getting a, a run at state level. Of course, runs around for the Sixers, Ben Benenti. Give him out of the match honours for his 60 or 45 and two wickets as well. Bondi Jack, good evening to you, my friend. Kingy, you read this out last Monday. Let us, and I said that because he's capitalised it, recap and savour. The gushing and sycophancy over Mitchell is hysterical. Mitchell's lazy attitude, poor work rate and errors in comparison to Dylan Edwards' error-free 230 metres and 22 carries will kill off Souths. Murray is far more essential. Spare me all the garbage about charisma and greatness. It is pure hype from breathless, clueless PC media muppets. Mitchell is in even New South Wales's fifth best full deck. Drinky and Pappen provide far greater input. Edwards or Rissile Mitchell this week. And as it turns out, he did. Note to Buzz, Bulldog, Loz and all the apologists, media boners. His name is Mitchell and the unfit, woefully out of position. Bludger ain't that great. They're harsh words, won't I, Jack? I love him as a player. He's a bit quiet by his standards. Anyway, I expected more for him. Dylan Edwards was just magnificent. Not not only in attack, but what about the effort play just on the short dropout to get up there, tap back? He's just everywhere. You know, the thing about Penrith, I mean, they transition better than any team of the comp, and that's largely thanks to the likes of Edwards and Toy at the back. Thank you, Bondi Jack. Very forthright, as always, 0457 736 736. Oh, just before we... We've got to clear another break. We're a bit behind time. I'm going to catch up with James Polson from the Sydney Morning Herald Sports Desk. This was nice. Uh... Josh Reynolds, Josh Reynolds, this is prodigal son returns news, says he regrets the day he walked out on the Bulldogs for the Tigers five years ago, that he wants to finish his career at Big Ed. So he's got himself a 12-week train and trial contract uh, grub that allow him the chance to return to his beloved club. It's only 1000 bucks a week. That is a far cry from the deal he signed with the Tigers in 2018, three and a half mil it was. He's 33. And he said, you know, it gives me everything in this club. I wish I'd never left and... He, every time people come up to him, they remember him as a, a Bulldogs player, and that's fair enough because he did his best work in the, the blue and white. He says, no one remembers me a Tigers or Hull FC player. Walk down the street. I'm living in Belmore at the moment. It still happens. Uh, good on him. I quite like Josh Riddles. He's a, he's a good fella too. He's got the reputation grub. The grub he's always had as a nickname as, as a little kid. Not so much for his more recent sort of exploits on the field where he's known to get under the skin of his opponent, Josh Riddles. And he's a good player. And who knows? He might turn out for the Bulldogs once more. You know, it's funny, uh, after 11 o'clock our time, I catch up with our good friend, Ian McCulloch, for the UK report. And uh, generally what happens with our guests is that, you know, any topics you want to touch upon. And uh, not a lot. There's a bit of pressure on Southgate. We've had some international friendlies. And I said, what about the man, Cad? And then he's talking about certain players with no position to make and comment about these sorts of things. And then he's had the hide to say to me, Aussies moaning about players not walking always seems a bit rich. So... I have something to say about that. Let's do this. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a Jay's Polson from the Sydney Morning Herald Sports Desk. It's been a while since we've spoken to him. Glad to have him back on the program. Evening, mate. Yeah, Jules, how are you, mate? Good to be back. Yeah, likewise. Uh, to, good to have you back. It's, um, you know, it's interesting. What do they say? You, oh, I can't imagine you'd be a walker in cricket. They say you walk when you miss the bus, right? Yeah, I, there was never really too much doubt when I was... When I was <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Three stumps so, out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. Never, never got much of a <laughs> just, chance to think about it. You know, tap, tap. I just want to go upstairs, mate. I wasn't sure about that. Well, 
Uh, it's funny, you know, we're down to two teams. I love prelim final week, and it's a grand final. It's great, but it's a sense that the season's going to be over. Carnival's over. Who's going to play? He's not going to play. Tom Opacek, likely, well, he's going to be out. Uh, Taylor Mays looking like he's out for the Penrith Panthers. But um, if Tom Opacek's out, I know Bailey Simonson deputised last week. Jake Arthur didn't get on the ground for the Eels. But, uh, the man was an outcast here at Panamata from probably about halfway through the season. It was Nathan Brown. It's been a chat that there might be some kind of last-minute reprieve and he might get on a pull on the blue and gold again. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, Michael Chalmers and Danny Wider tonight on Nine News. Looks like um, I think he's been up about twelve weeks. Nathan Brown. All, all the talk has been about you know they've got they've got this quite good option just sitting there doing nothing. What's happening, etc. And he, he might be coming in um, at the expense of Bryce Cartwright for the grand final on Sunday, which is uh, not not too wild. Say no bigger stage to uh, possibly play his last game in the old blue and gold. It's an interesting tactical thought there by Brad Arthur. Cartwright, I think, only played about seven minutes against the Cowboys and his son didn't play at all. And, of course, that first week against Pender, it's probably handy that he had, Jake, because Mitch Moses went down. But, you know, that would be quite the turnaround for a man who many thought his cards were marked there at the blue and goal. But, you know, does that mean he's he's looking for more punch in the middle, more aggression? You know, he's not a ball playing forward like Bryce is, but uh, but maybe you get more sort of grinding minutes out of Nathan Brown. I tell you what, if you pick him, because you know he's aggro at the best of time, he'll be absolutely raring to go. He'll be champing at the bit. Probably take someone's head off. Oh, that's right, 100%. Now, did it surprise you that North Queensland, you know, Wonga Blake dropped a high ball. They didn't go to his wing more often. Did that surprise you? Because everyone says, well, you do. I mean, you see him drop it, you go again and again and again, they didn't. But that's got to be weighing on his mind, Wonga Blake. No, there's a few few things out of that North Queensland game that surprised me, but no, that's right. There's no no one better no one better off the boot than Nathan Cleary, and you know that that's going to be happening time and time again come Saturday night. Sorry, was, Sunday night, I should. Yes, say. Sunday night. Yeah. Well, the AFL Grand Final. Jared said today they're going to move that to a Sunday night. But just just with regards to Wonga Blake and his catching abilities or lack thereof, uh, his record amongst the worst in the NRL under the high ball. Yeah, no, only only Brian Toto is uh, is behind him, I believe. I think it was, I think I was, I was reading today that um, yeah, Brian Toto has got about fifty percent, five from ten. Obviously, he doesn't have to worry about Nathan Cleary. The next worst is Wonga Blake, who's rocking at about seventy percent. So yeah, you know he's got to come in for plenty of attention out there at a call. Well, this is the thing, you know, if they target Wonga Blake, presumably, you know, they would have seen that seen the numbers. Right? They go hard at, at Brian Tottles' wing. Obviously, he doesn't have quite the height advantage, but uh, it's going to be a fascinating matchup, a really fascinating matchup. Do, do you have a preference? Are you going for Parry? Are you going for Penrith, or you couldn't care less? Oh, I'm a bit... Um, if, I, if I've got no skin in the game, you always sort of cheer for the yarn a bit, which I think it's fair to say is Parry. I think I'd be um, I think I'd be happier with that. But, yeah, no, look, relatively neutral here. The other thing, too, about, you know, these two teams playing, and, and Andrew Webster touched upon it in your publication today, is how they've won the Battle of the West. And, you know, when GWS came in, I remember, I think it was Kevin Sheedy, he said, you know, where will the next team be? Because I'd put another one out west in Sydney. Everyone sees that this, this huge growth area, you know, might take 20, 30 years, but as it stands, I mean, right now, you've got Penrith, you've got Parramatta, which, which is football heartland, not just rugby league, but football heartland in Sydney. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Webby. Oh, 100%. I mean, this is, um, I think it was as the editor sent around this morning or, or late last night, this is, a, this is a fair dinkum grand final, this one. I mean, they all are, but it, it just does not get any better. It's going to be absolutely huge in both, both Penrith and Parra all week. I mean, Sydney, Sydney as a whole, this game's just going to be massive. And I think, you know, especially, I know, I know Webby's specifically talking about the Giants, but, you know, coming off the back of that uh, unfortunate Swans performance on the weekend, I mm. think. Much like this, probably couldn't come at a better time for for the NRL. It's a very good it's point. Going to be absolutely huge. Yeah, it'll be. And the thing about it is, I mean, massive supporter base in Parramatta, but both clubs massive junior bases. You know, and and if they're successful, the NRL are laughing because because that success trickles down, and you're going to see more more participation numbers in this battle for for key junior talent. Now. A man that used to play for the Panthers and now is absolutely storming ahead for the Parramatta Eels. That beat Regan Campbell-Gillard. Looks like he's going to be picked in the front row for Males World Cup squad. But, you know, there's always a bit of chatter about uh, a falling out between him and Penrith that, that may have contributed to 
you know, his axing from the Origin team. He's, he was a former roommate, I believe, of, of Isaiah Yo and, and Christian Nucalusi's talking about this, uh, well, this rift or lack thereof between Regan Campbell, Gillard, and Penrith. No, that's right. You know, you know it is grand final week when you're get, getting the stories about how there's no there's no bad blood, there's no rift between between these two blokes. So I think so. Campbell Gillard, he, he walked out on. Um, Penrith with about five years left on his year, I think it was a few years back. And yeah, Isaiah, you know, he, he said he's probably a bit, a bit too honest. There's, there's no grudges, he says, but he was probably a little bit too honest. Uh, and yeah, I think former housemates, those two. Too honest. <laughs> yeah. Sweet, it's, it's, got it. I'm going to go with those shoes on, are you, champion? No. <laughs> no. I like him. He's a bit different, Regan, I've got to say. But I'll tell you what, on form, oh, I mean, you know, hindsight, we've got 2020 vision, but. Uh, you look at how well he's playing, and has played for the entire season. To be fair, and you, you just wonder how they, he didn't get any kind of reprieve for Origin two and, and Origin three, and they, you know, they went for a, a Jordan McLean or a or a Jacob Saifita ahead of him. You, you scratch your head. I mean, you know, he's a smarter mind no, than I, Brad Fidler, but he's, he's a good player. Mm. Well, he no, you look at look at the way he played on Friday. I mean, he was he was basically escorted to the line for that first try for yeah. the. The Cowboys defence, but I mean, like, he, he just fired up. I mean, that was that was pure in the lines down up there in Townsville. That's the sort of that's the sort of play you would have wanted in Origin. And he's got a decent but, cookie duster on him so, as well, which is a nice yeah. little nice little throwback to a, a better era. Uh, dare I say? Indeed. All right, mate. Uh, give me a tip. Give me a Clive Churchill medalist. Uh, mate, I'm gonna have to spice it. I'm gonna say Parramatta by six, Moses. Parramatta by six, it wouldn't that crown a week for him. He had a baby and then yeah. maybe he'll win a grand final. And not only that, I believe it's going to activate a performance clause in his contract, which I think is entirely yeah, reasonable. Yeah, no, lazy million dollars, that's right. <laughs> so, hey. As we say, going for the yarn, that's what I'll say. Yeah, beautiful. All right, mate, thank you. We'll catch all of those stories in the Sydney Morning Herald tomorrow. Good on you, Jules. Cheers. There is James Bolson from the Sydney Morning Herald Sports Desk. Yeah, so Wagga Blake. Uh, second worst record under the high ball. But number one is a man who's on the opposing side on Sunday night, that being Brian Tor. But I'd like to see the – have a look. I'll, I'll try and look that up in the break because I want to see what the numbers are. You know, because the guy who drops half his high balls, well, you know, if you've only taken two and one's dropped, well, he sort of skews it to some degree. But as I said, I'd love to see Nathan Brown return. The talk that if you pick him ahead of Cartwright, it's sort of – it's a slight shift in thinking, isn't it? Maybe – he wants to use his bench. Maybe he gives a rest to a junior Polo or Regan Campbell-Giller because he relies really heavily on those two blokes. I mean, Arthur didn't get on, and as I said, Cartwright only played, what, seven minutes. So do you need two ball-playing forwards like a Ryan Madison and a Bryce Cartwright on the bench? Maybe they're looking to go in a different direction. Anyway, it's going to keep us guessing, Oh, four five seven. 736 736. That is the text line number. And the open line number open for business as well. If you're driving home tonight, you're bored, we can keep each other company. What do you make of the weekend's games of footy or anything going on in the world of sport? And who do you like? The grand final, NRL grand final, this Sunday at Accor Stadium. Nice to see it back in Sydney. We've got Penrith and Paramount. Yes, hope you're having a good Monday night. Uh, how many more sleeps? Let's see, Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, Matt, he'll do the maths. Anyway, the NRL grand final, got Penrith and Parramatta. It's going to be a beauty. Look, I'm flying the blue and gold here. I'd love to see them win. If Penrith win, they'd, you know, they talk about dynasties. Even just to make three, even if you don't win three, think about Manly in the mid-90s. The dominant team, even though they only won one of three, and that may be the case with Penrith. But to make one is just impossibly difficult, and they've done three in a row. They don't look like they're showing any signs of stopping either. Wonderful, wonderful football side. And I know a lot of people bag and there's a degree of professional jealousy. You see, saw a lot of that with the Roosters over years gone by. People saying that because they secretly want to be them. 0457 736 736. It's some NFL results today. I'll bring you those after 11 o'clock. But it's time for this. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. Well, he's got a lovely shade of mauve. He's wearing his Rafael Nadal Nike tennis shirt. Uh, he's still got a smile on his face, despite the fact that his bunnies blew a lead against the, uh, the Premiers. Yeah, it's amazing what a couple of beers can do. Yeah. On Saturday, that is. Mm. That is. Mm. Well, I think... Did you go? I had to DJ, so I was watching it on yeah. my phone next to me. I had to DJ. Yeah, you know how much those... Fan are you. You know... I'll probably save some, some money on the ticket there too, by the way. Well, I was at training... Went to the captain's run and went to the yeah. open training last week. 
Um, and you live in you live in Parramatta. You're a Dragons fan, but you live in Parramatta. Mm. Those are special days when you get to go to the get to go to the club, see him train. There's all the fans there. Saw it on the news today. Those those kids at the at um, Kellyville today watching para train. Packed, yeah. Fans for life. It's really That's cool. Great. It's great. really cool. No, they're they're a very good club when it comes to engaging the fans. Parramatta have always been a really certainly in, in my time working in this industry, they've been a very accessible football team. Yeah. So I give them kudos for that. Yeah. You know, not all clubs are like that. Some are very protective. Parramatta yeah. are not one of those sides. Huge fan base. Huge. Massive. Yeah. Rich club. You know, they, this this will be a real stimulus for them if they can win. It'll get the monkey off their back. It'll do wonders for football in that region, without question. We'll start on so on on South. I, I don't think they've underachieved in this run they've been on. They went five, five prelim, prelim finals. It's a bit hard to say that's an underachievement. Okay, they haven't won a grand final, but yeah, they're pretty hard to win. Well, how's how's this? So they've played fifteen finals games last five years. Yep, record of eight and seven, eight wins, seven losses. But in terms of the line betting, so yes. whether whether they've been line against them or for them. They've won 13. They've only lost a line betting twice. And one of them was on the weekend just gone. Uh, Line on the weekend was eight and a half, I think I heard. 20 points. Uh, What? Well, then it ended up being 20-point margin. Oh, right. Sorry about that. No, no, the line wasn't 20. Yeah. Yeah. It's about eight and a half. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think they've underachieved at all. I I think they've probably overachieved. Mm. I didn't see them getting to a prelim this year, I've got to say. Um, So in that sense, they've overachieved. Yeah. If if somebody said at the start of the year, would a prelim final result be good for South Sydney? Of course it would have been. Everyone would have taken that. Yeah. You know, when you think about who you lost, you lost Bennett, you lost Reynolds, you know, Gagai. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, you got you had Mitchell missing for a chunk of the year. And out of respect for Bondi Jack, I yes. won't mention the L word. Uh, yes. But you got a fair play what, fair play to Bondi what, Jack. Losers. No, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Look, Bondi Jack loved Latrell in the centres at the Roosters, not sold at him in a full as a fullback. No, that that's the crux of it. Yeah, right? I went. Yeah, I mean, he dresses up with his language a bit more as he tells yeah. Bondi Jack, but yeah, makes him unique on this program. But he's a good yeah. player. Well, fair play to him. I can't really argue with him. But on the the Panthers, yes, I think this is the best club side I've seen. Really, I'll break it down for you. They've got eighty six winning percent over mm. the last three seasons. The only time. In NRL history. Can I just stop you there? Before that, we're doing agree to disagree. Have you asked me if I agreed on something? So I said I don't think South have underachieved, and I felt like we agreed. Yeah, agree. And I think Panthers are the best club side. Since when? Ever? Since. I mean, you well, have to go back not to, a better than the Dragons. Well, who the Dragons only had, I mean, obviously 11 in a row. Oh, it's 11 in a row. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's incomparable. They, uh, there was only one stretch... In that 11 seasons, where they had three seasons more, we had a better percentage than this current Panthers side. Sure. Obviously, it's, 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 no, it's, but, it's apples you know, and oranges. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, what about 2001? Parramatta's regular season was as good as anyone in history. But no one talks about it because they lost the grand final. Right? Yeah. 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 So, anyway. Uh, so, is it the best? I'm going to say no. But as I've seen some pretty decent ones, I think about Brisbane and Canberra in the nineties, you know, Manly as well. I mean, Melbourne, the Roosters. I yeah. can't say they're better than those at the moment. But anyway, yeah. well, you're you know, not coming off a, a loss to them. That's a very right? good point. You know, as a Dragons fan who's spent another year missing the eight, I got to tell you, I'd be happy to be any of you guys. Final hour of the program: oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Going to cross over to the old dart very shortly to get a UK report with Ian McCulloch. Uh, you're going to talk about the man cat. A little bit England going down to Italy as well. Now, we haven't touched upon the NRLW. It's uh, been big, big news first hour. But you can see this. Uh, this is quite remarkable. The semis on Sunday. So Newcastle beat the Dragons pretty comprehensively. The Dragons were last year's grand finals. Knocked them off 30 points to six. But then the Eels. The Eels managed one of the biggest upsets in NRLW history. They knocked off the reigning premiers, the Roosters, 24-10. This was in the doubleheader at Suncorp Stadium just uh, prior to the PM's 13 games. So both these sides that came to the NRLW during last season's expansion. But the only victory the side had was when the Knights beat the Eels in the opening round. Knights going as favourites, by the way. And though, you know, people thought they were on the up and up. They recruited really savvily. You know, Kira Dib, Millie Boyle, it was great on the weekend. Tamika Upton. And they've got that Jesse Southwell, how good she is. She's only 17, Jesse Southwell. And their only loss came when they were under strength. They lost by a late intercept to the Roosters. 
than the Eels won their first game of the season in their history. That was in the final round against three times champion the Broncos. Basically, the winner would play semi-finals. And then what happens? They upset the Roosters. We have had one of the most dominant seasons in NRLW history. And Tiana Penetani, unlikely to play, will be given until kickoff. But it's quite remarkable. So it's something in the water at Parramatta at the moment. And they could do the men's and women's doubles. Double, won't that be quite the result? And Penrith Panthers uh, state championship, this is going to be huge because Penrith Panthers, I mean, this just goes to show what a professional dominant organisation they are, Pennies. They're going for four, four grand final wins in a year. So they've wrapped up the jersey flag, Panthers. They wrapped up the SG ball. Then they held at the Bulldogs 29-22 to claim the New South Wales Cup on Sunday. So three wins. And then if they beat Parramatta and their favourites to do so, that's four. It'll be the first time in history any club has won all four. That's how, that's how good their depth is. But they play the Queensland champs, the North Devils, at home of, at Bishop Park, as they call it, Bashup Park. The North Devils, well done to them. Back-to-back Queensland Cup titles. Braden McGrady, a, a, oof, see this ugly dislocated elbow, grounded the ball in the, in the match-winning try. But oh, I quite like this, I've got to say, because since the state championship was conceived, New South Wales has won four to Queensland's two, including the last four in a row. So they'd be looking to get one back, the Queenslanders. And they're a very decent side, but it's hard to see anyone beating Penrith at the moment. Really hard. And think about it is, remember that last game of the regular season where they picked pretty much their entire reserve grade side to play the Cowboys? Well, the young ones that stepped in place of the reserve grade, it's for the New South Wales Cup. Well, they won that week. They won. So 1982, it was Balmain claimed all three lower grade titles, the ball, flag, and second grade. In 04, the Roosters made all three grades, losing only the first grade grand final. The Dragons achieved the same in 85. I remember that because famously it was Chris Guider who played in a, the President's Cup, the reserve grade, and then first grade. But they went down 7-6 to the Bulldogs. He played in all three grades, Chris Guider. All three grades on the same day. Pretty remarkable. Then he joined the Church of Scientology. Had a tough time, and now he's out of it, thankfully. And the last side to win all three was South Sydney in 1968. So history in the making for the Penrith Panthers this Sunday. Now, as I mentioned, just recapping, Taylor May, uh, he's not going to play. Uh, Spencer Lenu, the Panthers bench forward, left the field for the H- for an HIA after that pretty awful high shot by Tane Mill. Uh, Ivan Cleary did say he was fine after the match. He was showing no effects of the knock. The Eels, meanwhile, are not likely to play Tom Opacic. So that's going to be his last game. He's played his last game for the club. I think he's heading to Hull, Kayara, Zipat, something like that. So it'll be disappointing for the young man. He's been quite a buy, the Queenslander, for the Parramatta side. And as we mentioned a bit earlier, we might see a reprieve for Firebrand forward Nathan Brown. Just recapping, earlier tonight in the Women's World Cup, it was the Opal 75 have defeated Canada 72. And just before we get to Ian McCulloch, for his UK report, uh, birthdays today. It is the 26th of September, which happy birthday to arguably Australia's greatest ever captain, Ian Chappell. Here's a fun fact for you. Ian Chappell hit the first ever six in one day cricket. Born today, 1943. Happy birthday, Chappelle. Steve Monaghetti, Australian great marathon runner. Born today, 1962. American surfing world champion, Derek Ho. Born today, 64. Passed away in 2020. Australian 500cc motorcycle rider, Daryl Beatty. Born today, 1970. Our fastest man over 100, sprinter Patrick Johnson. Born today, 1972. And speaking of 100 metres, this time in the pool, the man who Thorpe thought was going to... Well, no, sorry, I'll, I'll say that again. He said of Ian Thorpe and the Australians were going to smash them like guitars. This was Sydney 2000. Never happened. One of the greatest swims in history. Gary Hall Jr., born today, 1974. Marty Lang, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Fooey Fooey Moy Moy. Uh, Serena Williams, her birthday today, born in 1981. And Johnny Bairstow, English cricket wicketkeeper, unfortunately not going to play in the World Cup because uh, he did himself an injury playing golf. Now get this! London calling this, I was there too. And you know what they said? Well, some of it was true. London calling at the top of the dial. Uh, let's check in with our friend Ian McCulloch in the UK. Hello, my friend. G'day, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm going very well. Now, um, you said house flies have a larger lifespan than a Watford manager. 
Hey, does Elton still have a stake in Watford, or is it, did he get out of that some time ago? He's still involved. They have a stand at Vicarage Road, you know, and John's stand. So I think it's more of a kind of honorary title now than actually um, you know, in the club in the, like the 70s. Um, but he did when he was on his last, which he's doing a world tour at a minute, which will be his last. Um, he did actually play Vicarage Road um, sort of two months ago, I think it was. So he's still very much kind of... Um, Emotionally attached to the club, he didn't have any sort of running in the day to be decisions made. But yeah, yeah, crazy decision in the world of Watford. I think it's uh, seven managers in the last 14 months. I mean, that's outrageous. Uh, that's outrageous. You know, it's it's almost like the board is saving their own bacon. You know, it's much easier to sack one guy than it is to, to overhaul an entire club and, and get rid of Deadwood personnel. Yeah, well, they're, they're, what for, they're owned by an Italian uh, family, the Pozzo family, who actually own Udinese, the team over there, and there's always been sort of a, mm. you know, transfer between the two. Um, they're, they're very ruthless. I mean, the, the appointment of Rob Edwards, he was from uh, a team called Forest Green, or a tiny team promoted from League Two for the first time last year. So they're all changing direction, giving the young coach a go to manager team has just dropped out of the Premier League and uh, yeah, 10 games in, they're one point outside the playoff um, and he's been, he's been sacked. So it's like Slavin Bilic is the man that's going to come in at the Cridge Road. Uh, good manager, good success, but it's just another name. They've had big names there like Roy Hodgson and Claudio Ranieri in recent terms and you know, mm. none of them have worked. So you just sort of wonder at some stage, you know, yeah. just, I mean, just the money alone they're paying out to pay out contracts well, to managers exactly. and sack it. But then I wonder if you're a manager, you see that as, as a poison chalice. Now, uh, the UEFA Nations League, uh, I've got to say, it's a, it's a title that it doesn't immediately spring out to me. But, you know, Gareth Southgate, the England manager, they went down 1-0 to, to Italy. Uh, he's been accused, I guess, of playing it safe when it comes to, to selection and tactics. Is that a reasonable assessment? Yeah, that's right, he has. Um I mean, really, England's form in, in the last sort of five months has been horrific. Really, it's the worst they've had it for I think maybe it's forty odd years. They, they, you know, lost four one four nil to uh, Hungary, and lost to uh, Hungary at home and away four nil in in Hungary and then one at home. George draws with Germany in Germany, which was a bad result. Um, but they haven't scored any goals from open play. They scored one goal in five games, which is you know. Really, mm. um, so the accusations. The I mean, the, it, the World Cup's so close now, and you know, they're not in any form at all. England and Southgate. He, he's. I mean, the, the big kind of debate is talking point is that he obviously doesn't fancy Trent Alexander-Arnold, Liverpool right back, who in my opinion should be in, in the squad. He's a fantastic player. Um, he doesn't seem to trust his defensive uh, game, which is you know a fair enough call, but he offers far more. Because his attacking game and what he brings to the team is far more than you know, what he does in the play. Yeah. It's just a very negative decision. And you know, picking Harry Maguire, he's kind of getting Man United uh, ahead of Fioko mm. uh, Tamori, the young Chelsea player. He's went to AC Milan, he's over there playing week in, week out. AC Milan wins He's left out of the squad. And it seems to be a real kind of. Um, and he's got a lot of the great players or so-called great players are kind of waiting at the right at the wrong time. Hank Sterling, uh, Carl Walker, all, all these types of players are really poor against um, Italy on Friday. And you know he played um, Bakayo Saka, the you know exciting Arsenal when he was playing as a right back against Italy, and you know it was really sort of a complete waste of his talents. Really, he's not a right back; shouldn't be playing there. Uh, I mean, the only kind of saving grace really is a. Uh, uh, the lad uh, Jude Bellingham, who made his debut as a 16-year-old for, for Birmingham City uh, in the Championship, playing centre midfield. Which in the league, like the Championship, you've got to have someone about you playing centre midfield in that division that age. And he was probably signed by Borussia Dortmund, and in, you know he's still only a teenager, 19 years. Wow. He's flying for Borussia Dortmund, but he looks a real, real good player. And he was the shining light, really, for England. You know, you're looking at a 19-year-old and saying, wow, he's the only one really that's got any credit from this performance. They were they were really poor and, um, you know, the knives are out for Southgate. And, uh, um, he's got a good relationship with the press, which is unlike other England managers. So that kind of <laughs> yeah. perhaps it helps him. with 
Uh, and, he, and he is a good man. He's a very decent yeah. man. He, yeah. you know, speaks very well. But it's a results business, and uh, they got a pretty straightforward group. They should get out of the group in the World Cup. But I mean, really, if you're a betting man, you wouldn't be betting any money in England progressing further than the quarterfinals in their current form. Now, this sets certainly Twitter uh, on a light, and it always does. This is the issue we saw uh, India playing England. Indian bowler Deep Sharma ran out non-striker Charlie Dean well out of her ground. Dean was uh, 47 at the time, batting at number nine. So England were uh, 53 for six. They were looking to chase down a target of 170. They bowled out for 153. India win by 16 runs, completed a 3 nil series sweep. Uh, where do you stand on this, mate? Don't stand outside your crease and you can't get run out. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's interesting. You're going to stand there. Oh, because, I mean, it's, it's amazing how many players it jumped on. Like, Stuart Broad, I thought, that is some serious trolling. I said, oh, you know, that's it. I said, mate, I mean, that was the biggest edge of all time. I think off Agar in the 2013 age. He just stood there because the umpire was the only person that didn't see it or hear it. But the thing went at right angles, and he didn't walk anywhere. Although, you're kidding, mate. Sam Beeling's come out. Surely nobody thinks that this is this is acceptable. And Alex Hales goes, no, nah, nothing wrong with it, mate. He goes, not like you, Alex, to, to disagree. So, you know, even within, uh, certainly within the men's team, within the cricketing fraternity, opinion is, is very much divided. Where is this whole spirit of cricket stuff that I never really got anyway? It's it, it sort of, you know, it's, it, I never really... It, <laughs> You're taking the risk down outside the crease if you yep. get run out yep. when they're running up to bowl. Yep. That's, that's the risk you take. You're, yep. you're trying to gain an advantage by being halfway down the track. So you can't really complain when someone stumps you. So, no. Yeah, it's interesting. Rubber Charger, uh, Ashwin, who, who'd said something along the lines of, well, you know, it's uh, what about the risk of doing it and then, you know, <laughs> potentially be a pariah for those who say it's against the spirit of cricket because he's obviously done it a few times. And I think he did it to, to Dos Butler from memory in the IPL. But, you know, they're yeah, shifting it now yeah. from, from one segment of the laws to the others. Uh, it's Look, the rule itself hasn't changed, but they're no longer defining it as, as unfair play. But the thing about it is, when it was Bill Brown who was running out at the non-strikers in, in, in Sydney in 48, and it was Vinu Mancat who was the bowler. At the time, Bill Brown didn't make a fuss about it. Bradman was at the other mm. end. He was disappointed. And Bradman said, mate, you shouldn't be getting run out like that. No, nobody even brought up this whole against the spirit of the game and, you know, you should give them one warning or two warning. It's, it's a nonsense. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. It's, you know, you play, I mean, all, all top-level sport, you play on the edge, you know, push the envelope, what you can get away with. But, you know, you take that risk, you get run out. It's, in many ways, it's fair play to the bowler, you know. Yeah. Like running up at that pace to, to take, you know, it's quite a difficult thing to do. You just stop and then just take, you know. So, you know, I'm all in favour of it. And I have to say, uh, before we let you go, I have to say that props to Charlie Dean as well. She was in tears when it happened. But in the next game, she comes into bowl, she fakes it. Did you, did you see that? So she's coming to bowl. Oh, no, I didn't. Probably, I didn't yeah, yeah, she sort of right. pretends yeah. to bowl, pretends to man-cat someone. So, you know, what's done is done. She can have a laugh about it. So congratulations to her. But uh, and she won't do it again, will she? No, <laughs> she won't. She all right, mate, we do have the small matter of the, the NRL Grand Final, the Mighty Eels against the Penrith Panthers the in their Eels. third Grand Final. Can they do it, the blue and gold? Can they do it? Cool. Well, they can do it. Of course they can do it. They've beaten Penrith twice this year. Will they do it? Oh, I don't know. It's, uh, Penrith look pretty impressive in the finals. Uh, they, they, they've been there. They've done it now. Um, yeah, I'd love to be in Sydney this week, though. I mean, I, I still have memories of that That. The Bulldogs, uh, sorry, they went to parapet the Bulldogs in 09 and that whole run. And then grand final week when they played the Storm. Yeah, was, um, yeah the, the Golden West was, was you, know, you know, buzzing that week. It was a, it was a great week. And um, I, I read a good piece today, actually, Daniel Mortimer. Um, mm. on the ABC. Late 09, yeah. Right, which uh, was quite nice. It was, um, yeah, it was a, yeah, I mean, that was really, that was it. The, the, the fairy tale. For that Parramatta run with everything, but winning, winning, winning the thing because that was astonishing when they went from incredible run, yeah, yeah off the back of the, the ladder, weren't they? And, some sort of Jared Hayne brilliance. I think they threw the playbook out the window about halfway through the year and said, "Let's just have a bit of fun here, boys," and and it worked. Yeah, 05, they they lost that last season game to the Dragons and then knocked them off in the first week of the finals uh, just a week later. So, 
Who knows? Uh, it's it's Good alive man. once again uh, out in Sydney's west, and uh, we'll wait and see. It's going to be a beauty, Penrith and Parramatta. Good luck to the blue and gold. Thank you, mate, and we'll speak next week. Cheers, mate. There is Ian McCulloch live from London with his UK report just before the break. Uh, Siv, hello, Siv. Just say, I haven't heard from Siv for a while. Uh, G'day, Jules, on the subject of the grand final. I think it will be an incredibly close game. Paramount to win for me, all the best. I'd love them to win. Mind you, hey, Siv, listen, I did say that the, the Geelong Swans game to be incredibly close, and people said they match up well, and it proved to be anything. But uh, I hope we don't see a blowout. I hope we see a belter of a game. Yeah, but on Jack, uh, the Chooks team that easily extinguished the vaunted Storm team in the 18-19 finals would suffocate this Panthers team. In fact, we had up to nine plays starting in the IRL's world team. Regards, Bonajo. That'd be a game. Wouldn't that be a match to see? The best of the Roosters, 18-19 against the Panthers, 21-22. I think I want the Roosters there. What about you, Pat? <coughs> Sorry, Bondi Jack. Panthers. He's a Panthers. Yeah, you're all over. You're all over the Panthers now. Are you? Thank you, mate. We'll take a break. That is us done and dusted for a Monday. Thank you, everybody, for your contribution to the program. Thank you to Jay's Paulson, to Lachlan McCurdy, and to Ian McCulloch, to Pat as well. I'm going to have a bit of a snooze because I'm back on deck tomorrow, filling in for Matty White live from Bluebet Stadium for mornings nine to midday. Catch you then. Bye bye.